Welcome, congregation, this morning to our sermon. Today we're talking about crown, re- crowns, rewards, and eternity. We want to talk about the fact the Bible does promise us as believers rewards. Remember, heaven is not a reward, but a gift given to us by the Lord Jesus, paid for by the Lord Jesus, and we simply accept him. And as a result of our acceptance of him, we're granted heaven freely by God's grace. So remember that when we talk about rewards. No one is ever rewarded in heaven. There is no verse in the Bible that says your reward is heaven. So, what are we talking about rewards? 1 Corinthians 3.8, and we're going to look at two portions of Scripture, one found in Matthew 7 and one found in 1 Corinthians 3. And 1 Corinthians 3.8 says, Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his labor. Now God believes in individual initiative. We all receive reward based on what we have done. That's very important. Because as I've been around church work for many, many years, there are a lot of supportive people in the church that I, I feel they're there and they think they're going to receive a reward uh, for cheerleading. In other words, when somebody gets saved, they say amen the loudest. They did not pray for it. They did not work for it. They did not do anything for it. Maybe they didn't even tithe. I don't know. And yet they say amen. Isn't it great? And they're, they're the first ones to tell you about all the people getting saved at their ch- church and how much it is growing. But I always used to ask people a question who would say things like that. How many of those people did you personally invite? How many of those did you personally win to Christ? See, people love to be cheerleaders. And in a way, that's kind of like taking the credit from someone else who is doing the work. But God says when we get to heaven and we stand before the judge and we stand before the beam of seat of Christ, that's the judgment seat of Christ, it will not be that way. We will receive reward based on what we alone have done. The, the faithfulness of our own stewardship. And we need to realize that. We can't always be just cheerleaders. I think it's good that we cheer people on that are doing good. I'm not against encouragement, but that's not what I'm saying. But if you take that as you're very, very happy about all the things that everybody else in your church is doing, and you're not doing anything, you might want to look at yourself. Okay? And with that, Let's just bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Lord, we give thanks to you, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, for this wonderful day you've given to us for the blessedness of eternal life through Christ. We ask, Lord, your blessing at this time and in this message. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we come to this scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, look in verses 5 with me, if you will. In verses 5, 6, and 7. I'll get there in a moment. Uh, And it says, Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom you believe, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, 
but God gave the increase. It is God who saves. On the other hand, and I want to say this, as our labor, but who are we anyway? It is God through the Holy Spirit that works in the hearts of men that brings people to Christ. Without the leading of the Holy Spirit, without the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we couldn't lead anybody to the Lord. We wouldn't be able, by, without God's power, to do much of anything. But we're working together for the same purpose, and it's God's work anyway. And I want you to realize that as a caveat as we go down into it. This thing of work and rewards has been misconstrued through the years by many. And I want us to take a look at that. By the way, it says here, and remember this verse, 1 Corinthians 3.11 says what? There's no other foundation that a man can lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The only foundation that we can have as believers is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. That's important. All other ground is sinking sand. And I, as the song, stand on Christ, the solid rock. I am the person who builds this house on the rock. Now that house might be a shanty, but it's on the rock. Amen? And when the storms come, because it's built on a rock, it's going to stand. And the key thing first is who are we built on? And let's look at Matthew 7 beginning in verse 19, is some people who are building their life on works to get to heaven. And that's a very dangerous doctrine. Works to get to heaven. We'll talk extensively about this, but Paul said in Romans 11 that salvation's by grace. And he makes the point here, grace is something we don't deserve. We don't deserve it. But now, if we work, on the other hand, what do we? We do deserve it, right? So he says in Romans 11, I believe it's verse 8, if grace is grace and work is work, then grace and work cannot go together. And that's the basic thing. I'm paraphrasing. That if it's of grace, it can't be a work, and if it's a work, it can't be a grace. Because they're, they're contrary one to another. Do you understand that? If your car is a Ford, it can't be a Chevy. And if it's a Chevy, it can't be a Ford. Uh, so, you know, it, it's got to be one or the other. It can't be both. And so grace and works are like that. You can't put them together. Now, here's some people, and he is specifically talking to what group of people here? He is talking to the hypocrites, the Pharisees. They have built their entire premise on salvation based upon them being very religious, following the law, doing the works, following the ceremonies, doing the things that they think will appropriate God's goodness. And that's contrary to everything we know in the Bible. You say, we well, know was a good man. I think he was a good man, but God didn't save him on the basis of his goodness. It says, Noah found great in the eyes of the Lord. It doesn't say that. Even Noah had to find grace. It had to be under grace. So when we talk about this thing, it's, it's grace. In the eyes of God, God said, I, I'm not interested in sacrifices, but mercy. 
You see, they, they misunderstood God. But let's look at this. Verse 19. Every tree that breathes not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast in the fire, whereby their fruits you shall know them. A lot of us, we think that, we read that and say, oh, that's talking about their works. Well, I don't think so. And then he goes on. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, and he that does the will of the Father, and hears and listens to the Son, and believes on the Son of God, Jesus. That's doing the will of the Father. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, in your name cast out devils, in your name done many wonderful works. Uh-oh. These people have done works. Well, what is it talking about, the good tree? Well, it's talking about when good things come out of our heart, because our heart is been touched by God, that's a result of faith, you see. And when things come out of us, that maybe they're even, quote, good things, but the evil of our heart betrays us. You see, good things could come out, but even if, if the heart is evil, they're evil anyway. So, and I'll explain that in just a moment. And then when I professed them, these people that did many wonderful works, they called Jesus Lord. They did many wonderful works. And Jesus says in verse 23, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever hears the sayings of mine and does them, I will like to the wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat upon the house, but it fell not. Because what? The foundation of faith was built on the rock. And everyone that hears the sayings of mine and does them not shall be likened to a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. It's like I always used to say, I'd rather have a shanty built on the foundation of the rock than to have a mansion built on the sand. Amen? And many people have built their lives on the sand of their own works. And it tells us here that some of the people who work for God are not saved. And this is an odd thing. Many are saved in 1 Corinthians and don't work. <laughs> That's kind of a funny idea. Here are people who work and aren't saved, and here are people who don't work and are saved. Well, you know, sometimes in the, in the world of, that we live in, it's corrupt and fallen. You have some kind of converse things. And so those here who seem to work for God... But the problem is their heart is corrupt. Their motives are corrupt. What was the, what was the Pharisees' motive? They did, did they do wonderful things? All the time. They prayed in the street corner. They collected alms for the poor. They walked among people. They said prayers. They blessed people. So if you said, well, they have, the Pharisees, they have many wonderful works. But I guarantee you, when Jesus meets them, he'll say, I never knew you. Why? Because they're going to face Jesus with their sin. They're trusting their righteousness to get them there. And every good work they have is because they had vain glory. 
They wanted recognition for themselves. They wanted to be seen praying. They wanted to, people to look at the prayer. Oh, look how great a prayer warrior he is standing here on the street corner and praying to God. And they, they took in this as kind of a, a, a vanity, selfishness, self-glory. And most of these that are working is so that... Uh, they're working so God will applaud them in heaven. And let me tell you something, that's contrary to grace, is it not? Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are we saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift is given, the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, boast about those works. Maybe they were trying to gain, maybe people do works to gain position. They think if I do enough works, they'll vote me in in the church as an officer. Or they'll promote me. And then I'll have a position of power. Maybe it's a lust for power. Or a lust for attention. Or a lust to be seen. Whatever. Or so they'll be applauded in heaven, so they think. But all of these are contrary ideas to the idea of grace. We are children of God. Our faith is in Christ Jesus and not ourselves. And that's what this is teaching here. Because Jesus went on to say, if you listen to my sayings, if you listen to my teachings, then you'll build your house on the rock. And that meant him. Remember he told Peter, Peter, thou art a rock, but I'm a rock. Upon this rock, Jesus, you will build the church. He is the rock. And our faith is built on Him. And listen, if you build your faith on the rock, Jesus Christ, you will not lose. We believe in Him. Jesus is death for our sins on the cross. We are trusting not the shifting sand, not the shifting sand, but the rock, Jesus. So we have two foundations a person can choose. Here. What? Sand, and that's the foundation of man. Our rock, and that's the foundation of Jesus. Now we flip over to Corinthians. We're talking only to believers, right? We're talking to the Christian church there. And these people are saved. We know they're saved because some of them get chastened pretty bad. And they're saved people, but they're not right with the Lord. And Paul has to talk pretty rough to them. And he says, there's only, we're all, there's only one foundation we have, and that's Jesus Christ. Okay, that's it. And he doesn't give two. He only gives one. Why? Because he's talking to believers. When you're talking to a group of believers, we only have one foundation. It's Jesus. We don't have a choice. We've chosen. And our foundation is Jesus Christ today. And I don't know about the rest of you, but today, amen, I'm standing on the rock, the solid rock, the rock of ages, this cleft for me that I can hide in, that I can stand under the storms, the rock of Jesus. My faith is in Jesus. And one thing, and not one thing I've done for him has led me to that point other than believing in him. But in him and him alone, Jesus plus nothing, minus nothing, amen. And that's where we are, folks. Okay, let's go back to talking about rewards for us. So let's flip forward to 1 Corinthians 3 and talk about rewards in the Christian church. Now, when we talk about rewards, we're talking about, oh, well, I can... Uh, Get, I've led X amount of people to Christ. I've done this. And, you know, when I retired, they asked me a bunch of statistics, how many sermons I'd preached, 
how many people I led to Christ, and uh, I don't know how many I led to Christ, and I know how many I received in the church that said they were saved. Now, you never really know that. You know, I always said, well, you, really, you don't really know. I'll give you the statistics of those who made professions of faith. You know, you don't know if that's real. And I was quite amazed at the numbers when they added up. I had never really added them up, but I got to thinking, okay, at this church we had X amount of additions. This church, uh, I know at Community, we had like 700, 800 additions. I think 600 were by faith. Uh, so uh, anyway, it added up into the thousands. And then you talk, took all the kids that got saved in vacation Bible school and the invitations given and, and your evangelism and revivals and all of that. And, and I, I don't know, but it, it seemed like the figure was about 5,000, but that, that amazed me. But if you had asked me just off the top of my head without doing the math, I said, oh, I don't know, probably five 600. It turned out to be ten times what I thought it was. Because it was over such a vast period of time. I mean, when you start, if you're faithful in preaching the gospel and you preach it year after year, after your day, week after week after week, it adds up after about 45 years. And I don't think there's anything spectacular. I know Billy Graham went one time, preached revival in South Korea, led 100,000 people to the Lord. So, you know, uh, what I've done is just scratch the surface of the, of the Lord's work. But nevertheless, it's not in, though, the multitude of what you do. The key thing is faithful service. And that's that's where when you think, I, I like to think about my ministry has been faithful service. And the quality. Uh, not saying the quality has always been there, but I've tried to make it about quality. Our rewards are of what quality? Look at verse 13. When our works are tried and made manifest, the day shall declare it. Uh, they shall try it by fire and find out what sort it is. Now, I'm not sure about you, but sort to me means quality, right? Is it a good quality work? Is it a poor quality work? And he talks about some here are gold, silver, and precious stones. Some here are rather wood, hay, and stubble. Um, you know, now wouldn't it be great if your works were both both. Amen? Quantity and quality. But work on quality first and maybe add some quantity to it. That's the key thing. And verse 13 and 15. If any man's work abide, he's built through it, he shall receive reward. If we had good quality works that were built from the good motivation of our heart for the Lord, and they, they will be kept... But if any man's work should be burned, he doesn't really have any works, he himself will be saved, yet so as by fire. Yes, there's coming a day when you go to heaven and they do the judgment seat and everybody's sitting there and they put all your sins up on a big screen TV. No, they don't. I'm kidding. By the way, before you faint dead, I'm kidding. No, as a matter of fact, that's what, you, that's what I used to think. That's total opposite. Your sins were already judged where? At the cross, folks. Past, present, future. When you get to heaven, there's no sin. You don't have to say, okay, let's look at what you did on June 15, 19, 2018. 
Here's what, you know, no, there's no, there's no sins up on the screen. There's no embarrassment in heaven. If you study here at 1 Corinthians 3, what is the judgment seat? It's a judgment seat of rewards. It's a Bema seat. Now, again, Paul, we've talked extensively about this. Paul saw Olympic Games. He saw running races. He saw the rewards with the little crowns they put them. And he talks a lot about that. And he talks about running a race with patience, laying aside weight, all the things Paul over and over and over talks about. He's even said he's running a race. He doesn't want to step out of bounds. So he makes a lot of illusion. And here he does as well. And says that, no, this is a race and a reward for the winners, for the victors, for those who have achieved something and they will be rewarded for it. It is a judgment for rewards. Is that different from the great white throne judgment in Revelation? You bet. Only believers are at this judgment. Only unbelievers are at that judgment. They are judged for their sins because they have sinned. And so they're judged along with the devil at the great white throne. And by the way, if you're at the great white throne judgment, you're in trouble because nobody comes out of there is saved. Nobody is saved from the great white throne judgment. So you better hope you're in the Bema judgment, right? And that's where I'm going to be. I don't know about you. But no, your sins are paid for. It's a reward. And, and folks, I, I tell you, in reference to this thing of rewards, let me tell you something. My testimony, I think the first eight or nine years of my ministry were hay years, wood, hay, and stubble, burned up. Uh, I spent a lot of time, I think, making it about me rather than trying to please God, making my own decisions rather than what God wanted. Uh, I was more interested that it fit what I wanted, not so much interested in what God wanted. I thought I knew better, and... Uh, a lot of times I just didn't include God in my decision making. I'm not, I wasn't an evil person. I wasn't, I'm not saying I was evil or, or a hard person. Uh, I was trying to do the right thing. But I was trying to do the right thing kind of my way. And you know, that's kind of wood, hay, and stubble, I believe. I believe a lot of those will get burned up. Somebody, if somebody from that era who knows me very well and was, whose life I touched very deeply said, oh, no, 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 that one. I said, well, maybe not you. I said, there were some things. I said, you know, good things happen out of everything, you know. And while some of those years, I think a lot of the things will be burned up, there'll be some things. Yeah. This guy forever changed his life by doing a simple act of mercy uh, to him and his wife. And, and I helped him through some things. And then I did something one time that he never forgot. And he shared that at my retirement. And uh, his name is Dan, and he's a, he's a great guy. I love him today. But if we do things out of our own pride, our own thinking, our own way, we're apt to get, what, our results. But God's a merciful God, Amen. If any man's work, he shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he will be saved. Amen. Even if all your works are paltry. Shameful, you did it for you or the wrong reason or did it the wrong way or not the way God wants, but God still loves you. 
And he, he shows that uh, in look at chapter 4, verse 5, where it talks about stewardship. Ju- judge nothing before the time. And by the way, on this earth, don't judge anybody. Don't, don't judge anybody. I talked about that evangelist down in Louisiana. I'm not going to call his name. I'm not going to endorse or under, not endorse him. But I will say this. I thought about even sending him a letter. I've watched him through the years. He had a moral failure years ago, many, many years ago. And he could have quit the ministry, but he stayed with it, went on, and as far as I know, has been a very faithful servant of God. And I applaud him for continuing. And I I see very uh, much the sincerity of his heart in continuing to want to serve God even after he failed so miserably. And a lot of people condemned him, but you know what? I give the guy credit because I'm not going to judge anything before the time. I'm not talking about Jim Baker, if that's what you want to I judge nothing before the time. Though. Don't, don't look at people's lives and try to judge. Don't you try to be God. Uh, you know, most of the trouble we have as believers is when we try to be God, right? Amen? Yeah, we get into trouble that way. Revelation 22, 12, Jesus is coming. He says, I come quickly. And my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. Now, you know and I know that does not refer to those people in Matthew 7 who who Jesus says, I never knew you. He's coming only for those that know him and are working for him. And those he will bring a reward. Every man according to his work shall be. Now, knowing what Jesus did for us, he gave us everything. How could we appear before Jesus with nothing done for him? Now, I, I find that hard to accept. You know, I want to say, I want to say this. Uh, if you just show up judgment seat of Jesus, you ain't done nothing for him, you're lost. I'd like to say that, but I know that's not true because I know the, the thief on the cross showed up <laughs> with nothing. Okay? We know the thief on the cross showed up with nothing, yet he's saved. So there are going to be people, there are people down on their deathbed, they can't do anything for Christ. Many people die, and I know one right now, a friend of mine who's dying, who just recently received Christ. He's probably got less than a few months to live. But didn't have opportunity. But yet people will come before the judgment seat with nothing. But how, and I, and I say that to you, don't do that. Don't let yourself get out of here with all the opportunities, all the things that you have, and not serve Jesus out of a pure heart. Serve Him. Serve Him. And God will reward you this life and the life to come. Jesus said that, didn't He? Yes. What is our motivation to serve Him? The love of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.14 the love of Christ constrains us. You know that constraint there, that word means to like, to bind up, to, to take as a prisoner. You might just tie up in, in knots. He, he, he's constraining us. We're like a prisoner. The love of Christ constrains us because we thus judge if one died for all, then all were, we're all dead. In other words, everyone's lost. And I think he's really talking about the lost people of the world there. The true motivation for us is to love those people who don't know God, who don't love God, even the hypocrites. 
Even the Pharisees. And there are plenty of those around. And I'd be call, careful about calling somebody a church a Pharisee because that means they're lost. Uh, it might be a little hypocritical would be the word to say. But to love the lost, to pray, to cry, to try, to work, to give, to send forth, to go, to care, to love all the lost people we can reach. Whether it be here, or Africa, or Canada, or wherever. China, India, to reach the love of Christ. The love of Christ has locked us into this, has tied us into this, that we cannot escape. <clears throat> the love, of, love for Christ, to love God, is that first great command, to love others is like unto it, Matthew 22. The two great commandments, to go outside of ourselves, For the love of Christ, to love others. Now contrast that to chapter 7 of Matthew. We've done many wonderful works. But you did those for yourself, not for me. And that love should funnel over to loving the brethren. And I give to you, for your own Bible study, the whole book of 1 John, read it. We know we pass from death unto life because we love the brethren. If any man doesn't love his brother and says he loves God, the love of God is not in him. I mean, read the whole book. It's about the love that we should have for each other and for the brethren. Love for the brethren. These are motivations. Love for the lost, the love for Christ, the love for the brethren. Amen. God talks about the crowns in the Bible. He, he talks about rewards. Just a few of those I'm going to share with you this morning. God says if you're a faithful witness, you won people of Jesus, there's a crown for you. 1 Thessalonians 2.19. The crown of life to those who suffer for Jesus. James 1.12, Revelation 2.10. Faithful service, living for Christ. 1 Corinthians 9.25. For those who love His appearing. A crown of righteousness, 2 Timothy 4, 8. And finally, a crown of glory, 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4, for the, past, the faithful shepherds are pastors. And finally, I'm going to end with this. And that is the keys. I've given you one already, love. Love is certainly a key that should motivate you to serve Him. To serve Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Faithfulness is required more than any other quality. We should be faithful to the Lord's work. Over and over in Scripture, 1 Corinthians 4 2, more than any other quality, faithfulness is required. Third thing, send it ahead. Send your, your work ahead. Everything you have on this earth will dissolve, be burned up. Matthew 6 19, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth or rust corrupts, where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And finally, God's grace. God's grace made it all. Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. 
God has enabled me, putting me in the ministry. By His grace, Paul said. Everything was by God's grace. Everything is God's grace. And God has given you the grace and me the grace to serve Him, to rise up, to count, to, to be a difference in this world, to be a light when the world needs a light, and to be salt when the world needs salt, and to be something that the world needs and will help. And God has called us. Crowns, rewards, and eternity. You're building crowns and rewards for eternity. Eternity's next. Right after this, small pause is eternity. And that's going to last a long, long time. Join with me in prayer this morning. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be here, to be in your word. Bless, Lord, the sermon. And, Lord, help us to understand that salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ alone. If there's someone who's wrestling with that, I pray they would accept him, calling on him as Savior, as the one who died for their sins, and rose again from the dead to prove he was the Son of God, deity. Lord, bless as this sermon goes out across the airways and throughout the world. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.